Phil Finn to be the guest on Only the Good, purely because I think they're going to hate it. Uh, and I think that could be quite a good laugh. Hello again, and welcome to the Red Dwarf Introcast, where longtime fans and newbies alike journey together into the farthest. Or is it furthest? Anyway, into the darkest, deepest regions of space uh, on the mining ship Red Dwarf as we talk about the classic BBC sci-fi comedy Red Dwarf episode by episode. My name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And we have two special guests this week. I'm Alex. And I'm James. Hi, Alex and James. Hello. Hello. Well, this week we're going to be talking about (laughs) the Series 8 finale. Um, uh, only the good and uh, Shane's dot, going dot, to dot. yes dot 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 can't forget that yes. um, so Shane's going to tell us what that's about in just a moment but uh, if you would like to refresh the listeners on just who you folks are uh, Alex and James uh, who are you and why are you here um, well I'm the senior staff writer for the Red Dwarf fan club uh, so <laughs> I do the magazine writing uh, and I helped to organise Dimension Jump along with um, the other members of the team, like um, like Capsy, who's been on this a few times. Uh, and I also run, along with James, a Red Dwarf website called Gaspacho Soup, um, where we have mainly news updates, but some longer articles as well. And we have the podcast, the Garbage Podcast, our own Red Dwarf podcast, where we've just finished doing our commentaries for Series 2 to mark the 25th anniversary of the show going out. So... On the exact anniversary of each show, we released a commentary. Oh, but nice. it's mainly it's mainly an excuse for us to mess about and do sketches. I'll be honest. <laughs> are are we allowed to listen to those yet? Do they? We have to wait until we finish listening. Yeah, to the I'd whole I'd thing. I'd wait until the end of ten. Um, okay. I I, th- I think when we did Queeg, we didn't talk about Queeg for the entirety of the. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, uh, and James. Um, well, as Alex said, I'm, I'm on the Garbage Podcast, but along with Ooh. Alex, I'm on the Next Generation intro cast. You guys and... are so awesome. Like, I am digging that show so much and you need to put out a new episode. Like, right now. <laughs> there's there's one that came out today. <laughs> oh, right. really? I haven't updated my feeds. Awesome. One, one, zero, zero, one, zero, one, zero, one. That's very much another show that's really just an excuse to do sketches. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a theme running through here. Awesome. And, and the fun fact about myself is my favourite episode of Red Dwarf is Backwards. No. <laughs> I'm sure there's a support group for that somewhere. <laughs> you should hear the other top ten. <laughs> Oh Crazy TV, Crazy TV oh. is in the top ten. Oh god! So you what? <laughs> no, great! You're, you're the anti-us. I love it. J- James has some somewhat controversial opinions on uh, on Red Dwarf. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I have somewhat controversial opinions on everything. <laughs> well, tell me again how Star Trek Five is the best. Oh, oh that that no no. <laughs> the Star Trek One is is the worst. Or how Code of Honor is the best episode of TNG. Yeah, yeah I only like the racist episodes of Next <laughs> <laughs> I feel that someone's going to come to this with no prior knowledge and just really start to ask very serious questions about us. I know. <laughs> well, thank you both for being on this week. As we 
none too soon. Uh, wave goodbye to a season that um, actually uh, has, has been a bit of a disappointment for Angela mm-hmm. and I. Not our favorite. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it, there's, there's still some to go. Although, um, I have to ask about that because according to the little Netflix years that it gives, uh, there's a 10-year gap in between 8 and 9. So, y'all are going to have to explain that one to us. <laughs> um, but, uh, in fact, speaking of Netflix... That's kind of squeezable plan, Shane, hasn't it? It certainly does. It certainly does. I think it's, yeah. it's possibly more relevant here than, than later. Well... Yeah, if, if you want to go ahead now, it, it, sort, it sort of covers both, but I would say that's something to look at at the end of the episode, because it relates yeah. to the ending. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, should I should I use the thumbnail quotes? I think you should, after all. Yeah, I think you should, after all. Okay. But there's, some, there's some brilliant stuff to be said about the series overall at the end of this. Yeah. Mm. An awful lot from the script book. <laughs> <laughs> we have yeah. a sad announcement to make. Um... We, we li- like to announce this when it happens, but I think we have been spoiled on something. Uh, I, well, I don't know how it happened. Uh, I'm guessing either we like there was carbon monoxide poisoning and we passed out, or maybe Netflix like skipped somewhere, but like we were watching the episode, and then mm-hmm. suddenly we were in a completely different episode where they were using some device to go into a mirror universe, which I'm assuming must be in season nine, yeah. because it had <laughs> nothing to do with the episode that we were watching. We, we've got to wonder right. about these memory gaps that we've been getting. And... So, I don't think Angela's on the drugs. Um, I'm not. But So, whatever episode of season nine or ten that was that we were watching, um, I guess we got spoiled on that. That's okay. It, it won't make okay. much of a difference no. knowing what that's from. No. Awesome. Well, uh, it could have been Shane. worse. Shane, what? Uh, oh, oh, what I, is this I, episode? I, I just thought you were making a joke about how the last I was. ten minutes. Of the week, we yeah? I was. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, they were just making a joke. They weren't talking about a future episode. Ah, it's fine. We make a joke. <laughs> We make the jokes. Just being a smart aleck. Shane, what is this episode about? <laughs> because we don't Please know. Please tell us. <laughs> oh, before I even get into the um, episode t- title um, and episode description, I just want to say thank you again to the fine folks at Getting and Titan <laughs> for, letting, for letting me uh, play that little clip that you hear at the start of the show. Uh, this was from the live drawcast, and if you want to download the entire live drawcast, please go to Ganymede.tv. I I believe I believe in that in that drawcast. Doesn't don't they read a contemporary review from Ian in yes. Times who was on last mm. week, where he says Crazy TV is the funniest episode of Red Dwarf ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many people's opinions changed on Series Eight, which again, it's worth coming back to, but. Yeah. And then I think we we have convinced him now that it's the worst episode. <laughs> you didn't convince me, though. Well, that's fine. We're not out no. to convince anyone of no. anything. People can anyway. have their opinions. They're allowed. Oh, wow. All right, hit it with us, Shane. Hit us Thank with you. it, Shane. <laughs> and, the, and the escape capsule from the S. Hermes arrived and bringing the captain's of spiritual advisor's sister Talia, but also brings a virus that starts to eat through Red Dwarf. Mm. 
Kachansky suggests finding an antidote in a mirror universe where the opposite viruses opposite will exist. Crichton rigs a machine to break through the dimensional barrier, and Rimmer answers the mirror version of Red Dwarf when he returns with the formula. The others are missing, the ship is falling apart, and the formula is reverted back to what are the original virus from where he's, when he steps through the mirror. As the piece of paper it is written on catches fire, death comes to him, and instead of accepting his fate, Rimmer kicks death in the groin. I think that pretty is, much covers it. Is that what happened? <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Okay. Oh. <coughs> Angela's Sorry. choking on her coffee yes, over here. Yes, I am. Okay. Um, you know, I gotta Disbelief be Disbelief at that ending. Well, was, <laughs> yes. Was well, that the episode? I was confused about a lot of this episode, <laughs> because one thing, it was not at all clear that Talia came over on that escape pod. Mm-mm. I, she was, there, there was the escape pod, and then there was Talia, but... Then later on, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you came over on that. Well, And, oh, I, here's this virus that we totally knew about. Well, I, <laughs> I can tell you straight away that that is a symptom of the way it was made. I mean, it's called Only the Good. That's not the first title it had. It was first of all called Mirror Mirror, then Mirror Rirum, then, mm-hmm. oh, uh, what was it? It was Every Dog, and then Only the Good. And that kind of constant changing is... Uh, Endemic of the kind of problems that the end of the series had. Mm. Though, good word. Though I would say, I think the first 20 minutes are quite similar to how it was originally meant to be. Well, it was originally meant to be a two-parter. Yeah, mm. but that's the, why... It was originally meant to go back to Earth. <laughs> yeah, the, the last sec- episode was called Air. Yeah, the, second, was. the second part involved them somehow using... What they found in the mirror universe, the antimatter from the uh, the mirror universe, to fly back to Earth, where they promptly crash into it, causing a massive tidal wave, killing the future civilization, and the show ends with Lister exchanging insurance details. The one thing that I am, (laughs) the one thing I really like about Only the Good is that it meant that never happened. (laughs) But. But I mean, it does. The, the first twenty minutes do feel like they kind of could lead to that. It's the last ten minutes where they kind of just try and fit in mm. an entire plot. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the plot description, you included the first minute and the last ten minutes, and the nineteen yeah. minutes of funny <laughs> stuff in the middle have no plot at all. Okay, let me and yet tell that's you the bit I like. What... Yeah. Anyway, I, w- I was going to say what this episode felt like. Um, I'm a teacher. And sometimes I give in-class essay exams, and usually about 50 minutes around, you know, the time of a longish episode, and around the 10-minute mark I say, okay guys, if you um, don't have time to write out uh, everything that you're planning to do, then just give me a summary of what you would have planned to do if you'd had the time. Yeah, this paragraph, I was going to talk about this, and then this paragraph, I was going to compare this to this, and then in the conclusion, uh, I was going to reiterate this point, and and that's that's how the paper would have gone if I had had time to write it. Yeah, That's what this feels like. I think the worst bit is when 
Kachansky just brings up a mirror universe out of nothing. Mm. <laughs> and, okay, Kachansky and the mirror universe. So, remember when Kachansky's goal was to get back to Dave, her Dave, in a parallel universe, but remember there was absolutely when... no possible way to do that? Remember when Kachansky had goals and emotions? <laughs> <laughs> If they had the, let's hop into an alternate universe machine just lying around there, but apparently they only thought of it now. <laughs> but there is there is deleted dialogue, but I have no idea why they didn't keep it in. Yeah, why did they it, keep some of the dialogue that was not very funny and then took out the dialogue that actually explained the plot? With with Series 8, there's a much greater drive to go for the gags rather than the exposition. There was a feeling after Series 7, which has become more prevalent since. It wasn't such a big deal at the time that Series 7 was too heavy on the plots and not heavy enough on the jokes. Series 8 is very much a reaction to that, and Doug is trying to pump in more gags. Hmm. And it's more sitcom-y in nature. But I would well, say that that complaint, which you will hear a lot and see a lot in the comments, has come up a lot more in the years since Series 7 and 8 than it did at the time. Well, I think it's time for me to make my confession. All right. Um, I bought the DVD uh, when it came out many, many years ago. And, in very, and it was set there, washed it through once, and it sat there on the shelf, gathering dust. <laughs> very, very rarely it was being taken off the shelf. And if, when it was, it was only to watch the documentaries. Never the episodes. That's not a horrible thing. I think that's fairly common across a lot of people. <laughs> Except for me. Except for you. Yeah. <laughs> I constantly have series 8 just by the sides of my TV. <laughs> It does wow. have the hardest to listen to commentary because they f- they cram everyone in. They have the main cast plus uh, Mac McDonald plus Norman, and there's just so many people. I, they're all talking over each other constantly. It's hard to follow at times. And Norman is just saying, "But when when's my line? When's my line? Why don't <laughs> why don't they make any funny lines for me this series? It's awful. This I don't I don't know why I'm here. Like yeah, I'm not yeah. even in this episode." Cat and Kachansky is on the whole, yeah. So Cat got a scene. Yeah, Cat got a nice little scene, yeah. He does. A couple, really. Cat got a scene, finally. Um, <laughs> he got a, a nice little gag there with the rock uh, labor. <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty funny. And then uh, the, the nurse scene, I think, played fairly well. Which, okay, so uh, we've, been, we've hopped right into the criticism. But I want to back up just a little bit and say... There was some really good material in this episode. Um, if I, like, sliced off the last third of the episode, where suddenly Kachansky single-handedly invents a dimensional transport machine... Um, okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But no, if, if I just look at the first two-thirds of the episode, the writing was good, the pacing was on key. Um, Maybe a couple times a joke would go on too long, but, but you know, not, not as bad as it has yeah. in the past. I, I felt like they were on a good track, and then it was like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be ending the series, aren't we? No, I, I think that's right. I mean, I was discussing this the other day. I think the bulk of the episode is really a sort of 
B plot of trying to get well, things like trying to get injured in prison and failing, and that's the funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the re- and it, it feels like a B plot. It is a B plot, and the problem is the A plot doesn't hold it up well enough. It's not just the last third that doesn't work for me. It's the initial scene with Rimmer and Captain Hollister that never feels right to me. It's something with I, I don't know whether it's something with the way that Chris is delivering it as well. Uh, yeah. it, it it never fits right. Mm. The one thing that I do like about that scene is we actually have once again a physical model. Which, in a series so full of CGI that has not aged well, it's really nice to have that little model that was made so much at the last minute. For a bottle of wine. Two crates of wine. (laughs) Two crates of wine, yes. Two crates in the end, but... Uh, The model maker on Series 8, Bill Pearson, um, Mel Bibby came to him at the last minute and asked him if he could uh, knock them up and escape... If he had something that they could use as an escape pod... Uh, and he said, well, I'll make you something. Well, what do you want in return for it? Oh, I'll have a bottle of wine. And so Mel Bibby gave, gave him two crates. Having spoken to Bill, <laughs> apparently that's happened quite a few times, however. Where he nice. told me all the films and things he'd worked on for a bottle of whiskey and whatnot. He was given three days to make the model. I have, wow. actually se- I have actually seen that model. I went to Shepperton to see Bill not that long ago. It's a really nice model, actually. So they were asking him to knock them up for a bottle of wine? No, he offered to do it. <laughs> Not for the first time. Knock up she, has she a was, different connotation she was, she in was America. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry did I. Because I'm, I'm just ten. very slow. <laughs> You're very naive, Alex. Yes. But, yeah, um, so the things that worked, uh, you know, we... we Angela, a few episodes back, uh, Cry TV actually, uh, said that she would have liked the, uh, the the prank that was pulled on Lister better if instead of it being just Haywire Crichton being mean, if it was maybe like a revenge plot uh, of Kachansky's to get him back for his participation in, in uh, the Cry TV plot. Well, they sure enough, they kind of did that this time. Yeah. And it worked? She got a bit of her own back, she did. That um, joke even though it was comes, sort of Crichton's idea. That joke comes under a lot of criticism, incidentally. I could see why. I, I could see why, but... Um... I can't say oh. I've ever had an issue with it, because the joke is that he doesn't realise it's inappropriate. And as you say, then, it, it has a callback later on. Oh, right. Uh, oh, yeah, the happy period yeah. day. I laughed... So hard. I was screaming with laughter. She did. And that... mostly it was because it was unexpected. There was a huge banner. <laughs> and Crichton's face as he's holding the the gift. So very pleased with himself. The wrapped gift. And the look on her face, like, I cannot believe I just walked in on this. I, <laughs> and I think... We... Oh, go ahead. I think it's a great scene. The way that it builds... Mm-hmm. Uh, with line on line, I thought you could give me a little twirl in it. Uh, it's great, yeah. <laughs> but it um, is held up as one of the examples of of Doug and, and earlier on Rob, uh, but Doug's writing being slightly sexist. But well, I don't no, think it's... that example is really. I, I think it is much more about Crichton's naivety, and and it does yes. have a callback. Mm-hmm. No one has been more critical or or um, given a, a harsher eye. I think of. The treatment of women in the show as a whole than than Angela and and I, but 
or Angela and me, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know what? That joke gets a pass because mm-hmm. it was funny. And it wasn't necessarily demeaning to women. It was, yeah, like you say, it was more about cultural misunderstanding going on here between the two and Crichton being duped into this. Um, and yeah, it was just genuinely funny enough. I don't think that it was an attack on women. Um, and you can't say that the show hasn't gone with gross bodily humor about men uh, yeah. throughout its entire run. And it it just made me laugh so hard. Now, I do think when Crichton was saying earlier something about her looking at the calendar and saying it's the wrong time of the month and then including, like, crying and... Weeping and sobbing or something. Yeah. Women don't do that unless they have some severe, like, hormonal imbalances that then they take medication for. (laughs) And you'd think future times would have medication readily available (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean no the but the the banner joke itself i think hit quite well and a little bow around (laughs) (laughs) and while we're talking on scripts about scripts uh referring to the line i'm giving you a big 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 wet snog with oodles of tommy tongue Chris Barry uh, remarked, there has been so many excellent lines, the scripts have been really good. Uh, okay. Well, he only liked that line because he was just oh. kissing Talia Gareth. Oh. I didn't think that was a good line. Why did he think it was a good line? Don't he usually has better taste. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's been I a few occasions. I thought you were about to say a but. He really thought that line was crap. <laughs> nope. <sighs> what were you saying, Alex? I think there's been a few occasions uh, over the years where, you know, sort of general fan opinion has not tallied with the cast's opinion. Mm. And then the cast have generally changed their opinions. Yes, they have. The fans. Mm. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> And you see in the in the script book, they actually say series six was very badly received, and now that's completely different. People mm-hmm. love series six. Hmm. So if we look at the plot of this one, um, oh yeah, we have to give a shout out here at Tony Slattery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hilarious guy. I, I wa- I've watched a lot of uh, Whose Line is Is It Anyway episodes with yeah. him. I always enjoyed his humor. Plus, we were excited to see a British comedian on there that we knew. Yeah, or hear a <laughs> well, British well, comedian that we knew. He, he's yeah. already been on Red's Wall. He certainly before. has, yes. Yeah, what, what was he the first time? He was the, he voiced the main character on Androids. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I recall you mentioning his name before, but I couldn't mm. remember the context. Um, so the captain was supposed to be spending a year, uh, in solitary confinement. Uh, now he has yellow fever and he's assigned Rimmer who caused his mental breakdown to be his personal valet. How come? Well, this seems to be a long way after that, doesn't it? I thought that this was near the end of their sentence. 
That's why he was on probation. Oh. Oh, okay. That's what I've always took it to mean. I mean, there's nothing explicit. Although, I've always, I've always found the fact that he's on probation and wandering around the ship slightly odd, considering the fact that he's on a secret brig. Floor yeah. 13 is only rumoured about. <laughs> and no one ever well, questions where these people to disappear the to. I think by now they're, they're three million years away from Earth. They don't really keep that secret anymore. Hmm. And, yeah, but the captain doesn't like Rimmer anyway. So if you could pick any personal valet, then why wouldn't you pick, like, Crichton? I mean, maybe not kill crazy, <laughs> but... <laughs> Pretty much any other prisoner that's not Rimmer or Lister, I think, would have gotten the the <laughs> nod before him. Uh, but he knows that Rimmer is groveling and you know, obedient. Hmm. I guess. But that's not how Yellow Fever acts. It's space Yellow Fever. Oh. <laughs> it's mutated you. over the last three yeah, years. Yeah, mutated to be more like... <laughs> The common cold that sort of goes away and comes back. Okay, here's what I thought was happening, because they didn't explain anything of what was happening in the nice, succinct way that Shane explained. Um, I thought that the uh, surviving member on the SS Hermes escape pod was actually a chameleon virus that was sort of like the polymorph and would turn into people. And so I thought Talia was the virus. And then when the captain walks out, not sick at all, to hand Rumor back his tray, I thought that she had already killed the captain and then shifted into the captain. I think that that would have been a better episode. That would have made more sense. I mean, Talia's existence doesn't really make a great deal of of sense anyway. Hollister sort of explains it away with a line of, well, the nanobots must have resurrected you too. Why? 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 I mean, why would they have done a ship that's outside of Red Dwarf? It's Mm -hmm. very odd. It feels like a plot strand that's been started and then not finished. Like many... Well, and oh, uh, uh, another quick nod back to uh, Greek mythology here. So the supposedly shape-shifting virus, although all we really see it do is dissolve things, so why not just call it a dissolving virus? virus? But anyway, um, but yeah, it's a shape-shifting virus, and it's from the SS Hermes, so you could say it's mercurial. Huh? Huh? Because Hermes is Mercury, and Mercurial means changeable. Changing, so... It's okay, Steve. I got it. Back to Red Dwarf, then. (laughs) (laughs) So I was was just watching the the wind blow across my room there. (laughs) Well, take some Beano, then. So, um... Uh, let's see, yeah. what else do we have in this episode? Oh yeah, the drunk scene. The drunk scene. They Oh, any, any chance you get to have, uh, you know, Craig Charles, of course, wonderful physical comedian, but uh, Chris Berry, come on. Chris <laughs> Berry playing drunk. You can't ask for better than that. Yep. And I love how, like, two sips later, they don't care. <laughs> they, they just have the hooch there. They don't care. I mean, all of these sort of scenes, they're all quite sketchy in nature really yeah. mm-hmm. um, but they're 
funny. I mean, it, it's possibly yeah. a controversial thing to say because a lot of people just hate this episode. And to be honest with you, my memory of it was just one of despair. But going back and watching oh, it yeah. again a few days ago, I'm watching it and thinking, oh, I forgot this is in this episode and forgot this is in this episode. And I think the thing mm. is just that these scenes could have been in any episode. And in many ways, they probably yeah. would have worked better yeah. mid-series. Mm. Why did, at the end of the drunk scene, why did, with Ackerman, like, he calls for the stomach pumps, and then the super camera... Super close up. Super close up on his face, and he's like, super suck. And then that got a huge laugh. <laughs> I think and it was a just... long pause. Yeah, because I just said, super suck. I think it what? was just because he delivered it in such a camp manner and the audience reacted so well, they just decided to leave it in. Okay. It's, so it's not the first time that there's that been... Uh, Take out exposition. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's been a few occasions, and there will be more to come yet when there's a long pause, longer than it seems there should be because of how the audience have reacted. Mm-hmm. There's a particular yeah. favourite of James's that's still to come. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, let's see. Then we get the the cat trying to get hit scene. Don't quite understand why the 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 bad guy in the Big mess meat. hall had to have a bizarre foghorn leghorn southern U.S. southern accent. That was odd. That was odd. I, <laughs> I do declare, Mister Cat, sir, that you have taken my French fries. I think the odd I thing is just that he has the name. On you. I, I think the other thing is just that he has the name Big Meat, of all names. I, 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 to be honest with you, I think that it, it it might just largely be that the actors have always been given free reign if they're crew aboard the ship, because they've always had the idea that the ship is transatlantic anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, you only have to look at uh, Mark Williams's uh, Swedish voice, um, <laughs> or Scandinavian voice. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not the first time someone's put on an accent. I, I, know, I think just, maybe you notice it more. Yeah, it just struck me odd. as like, well, yeah, because it was yeah, uh, not just a, not just that it was a U.S. accent, but a bizarre, atypical U.S. accent that hasn't properly existed for about 150 years. See, so, we get critical of Southern accents we because do. no one can do a Southern accent. Well, although Brits for, Brits usually do a better job yeah. at Southern accents, but he was doing a Civil War Southern accent. <laughs> Like, I like think on it, true I've blood. tried and I think failed. Suke is mine. <laughs> I think it's the same thing as when we see on The Simpsons or Family Guy or a show like that when they suddenly have a cutaway to Britain and everyone's, go blimey, governor. <laughs> I, I, you I know, know no one who talks like that. I think that's almost if, like... If you go to London, uh, you won't hear anyone going, well, what a lovely time of day. You what are you saying? Alex, Alex, I think you talk like that when you're not recording. <laughs> That's your secret. <laughs> yes. Quite well, a lovely episode there, wasn't it? Oh, yes, quite. Um, indeed, yes, indeed, yes. It was. It was <laughs> yes, step up a lip. Marvellous. Yeah. And you live right yeah, next to Buckingham Palace. Yes, yes. I don't know, but like when, when Simpsons does it and whatnot, I think that's almost like purposefully winking and nodding at the failed attempts at like you know the the classic example being dick van dyke it's like you know if we try and do a genuinely good british accent and we do it well then nobody will particularly notice if we just ham up the fact that generally british accents on american tv uh bite the big one then maybe we'll get a laugh out of it yeah i don't know 
maybe that's what this was, but it was just weird. But it was nice to have, like, Cat have a plan. Yes. And then it just He's completely... He's got a plan. He does. And just completely go... Like, you, you belong to me now. He's like, okay. Here, have the rest of my french fries. And I mean, then I, he looks fantastic in a nurse's outfit. I have to say, this is pretty much the point of the episode where I'd like it to end. Yes. In my memory. <laughs> I, I have to be yeah. honest, it's about here, maybe a scene later. Yeah. The thing is, I'm totally reverse. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I can well, at this point, I like the episode. Hmm. Well, I would have liked the plot that they were throwing up there with, with you know, talking about being able to get into a, a, a mirror dimension and whatnot, if that had been the setup for an entire episode, or maybe a in- two-parter like it was in Out of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much when they cram the entire plot device into five minutes at the end. Mm. Well, that's, that's how I think, that, that's how I think, because I, I, I just love that last little <coughs> ten minutes when uh, Rimmer goes into the mirror universe, and I always think to myself, <coughs> excuse me, I always think to myself how good of an episode it would have been mm. if that, you know, last eight, nine minutes of the episode was an entire 30-minute episode. Which it was kind of intended to be. Be Yeah. yeah. I, th- I, d- mm. I do think that it is the first 20 minutes that are what part one was, and then mm. they rewritten basically all of the rest of part one and part two into that last 10 minutes. <laughs> so let, let's just keep stuck. Pete was a two parter. Ah. Well, this. Like, back into the red, a three parter. The reason <laughs> this. What, what happened the, was the whole they, reason we don't get Earth is because the dinosaur costs so much. Well, not necessarily just that, but also because the end sequence of air costs so much. Yeah. Yeah. But you just kind mm. of think there was a better alternative than ruining Pete by adding 30 minutes of padding. But at least just... we had a dancing blue midget. Why couldn't we just film an episode in this set and Rimmer's quarters? That was if you an existing set and could just have had a few funny moments in there. That's kind of what we thought this series was going to focus on. Yeah. We kind of thought that putting them in a cell together that we would get... Of course, you know, and being a different Rimmer, that being that a new relationship had to be established and explored, although that's been, I guess some mm-hmm. might say, glossed over in some ways, uh, with Rimmer sort of defaulting more to the Rimmer we know than to original Rimmer, depending on what the scene needs. But, um, yeah, I really expected a couple of bottle-up episodes... Uh, in the vein of uh, duck soup and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the one where they uh, almost uh, marooned. Marooned, oh. yes. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. I think what the issue there is is simply that with this series, the cast has been expanded to too huge a degree, because you've got your your four mains plus Chloe plus mm-hmm. Norman, and by this series, uh, Mac McDonald is a regular as well. Um, and with that in mind. It's quite a large main cast anyway, and then you can't ignore the fact that there are other characters around as well. And then you start bringing in supporting cast of Baxter and Kill Crazy and Mr. Ackerman. And you end up having to have an an ensemble comedy, and you can't do those smaller episodes without making it seem that you're trying to relegate the rest of the cast off. 
Well, I would say bringing them in for two-minute one-liners and then ignoring them may be worse in some yeah. ways. Well, that's the thing. There is no happy compromise. Um, True. True. I, I think with the show that they've created, it doesn't hold up well to have a whole series with that larger cast. Uh, and, and you can feel it collapsing under the weight of it. If it well, had been just a three-parter, if Back in the Red had just been the only episodes where they're in the brig on the ship, that may have worked a lot better. Well, um, just thinking of another show that's in space and has a large ensemble cast that two people on this, uh, <laughs> who's guesting on this show do a podcast about... Then how they handle that is they have episodes that are focusing on different characters. So, you know, you'll have a Worf-centric episode and, you know, he might be joined by, I, I don't know, um, Picard and, you know, they'll have some adventures. And or then as they're filming that, they've got another crew who's filming some stuff for the next episode that's yeah. very much Troy-centric. and Or Geordi and Wesley. And yeah, so, you talking know... Talking about being blind. <laughs> and then uh, oh, Natasha he's blind? Is he, is he blind? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can have, like, the Rimmer and Lister episode where it's mostly in their quarters... And then maybe have an episode that's just about, like, Crichton, Kachansky, and Cat. Or Cat. I want to know what Cat does every day. <laughs> I want a full episode from Cat's point of view. We've been waiting for the Cat POV episode, and it's never materialized. You nearly got a Cat-centric episode, of course, with Series yes. 7. But we what? won't say anything more, anything more about that. No. Darn it, guys. It had been tried. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think by this point, it, it's been set up so much anyway that Rimmer and Lister are the leads. You never get an episode with the supporting cast, and part of that is that Cat has always been used as a device to come in and deliver that one-liner to add the woofer to the end of the scene. Crichton has become a bigger part of the show, yeah. but... Uh, and you won't take him away, especially because by this point, the Red Dwarf merchandise and whatnot has started to really come in, and this series gets the biggest ratings the show's ever got. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's been building its fan base. It it, it was exactly that, and it was prime time on BBC Two. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the fact that it had a whole Red Dwarf night dedicated to it on BBC Two... Uh, is yeah. some mark because most of the other shows that were getting it at the time were things like Doctor Who or Monty Python or Dad's Army, things that had been and gone, and they were being run as a nostalgia night. Red Dwarf was a different case, right? Well, the fact that the fact when it comes to the Red Dwarf night, they're actually creating new shows. It wasn't just a you know here's top five favorite episodes, here's Red Dwarf night. That BBC actually put money into the Red Dwarf night and created a Universe Challenge, Can't Meg Wants Meg. The A to Z. And that was a very interesting night in as much as that was really Chris Barry being reintroduced to the series. Mm. Yeah. When but he came back in Series 8, it, it it didn't seem unexpected in any way because of the fact that he'd been so involved in Red Dwarf Night. Yeah. But what, the thing is... Um, okay, so, so you're saying that they, they can't do anything different because these are the things that people expect. I'm not saying so much that they can't, I'm saying that Doug would be less inclined to. Series 8 is very much him (laughs) reacting to what he's done before. 
and yeah. he's trying to make uh, something that he thinks will be very popular. It it's often okay. been said that with series seven and eight, Doug is trying to work out what his solo writing voice is after Rob has left. So I'm not really sure fair. how true that is, but I certainly think he's. We, we may be in the minority. Like we may be way in the minority here, but I really feel like season seven. Yeah, it had some flaws. Um, I thought there was a lot of good writing going on too, and especially like some of the episodes we liked best and that we liked Chloe and Ed in the best um, were some of the later ones that he wrote for that series that they played first, like they do. Yeah. Um, I feel like if he would have maybe continued in that line, but been a bit more confident with it, made some smaller changes and tried to adapt that instead of. Because, like you say, seven and eight are polar opposites. Yeah. It's like seven, we're going to try to have like serious plots. We're going to, you know, try and, and put these characters in different situations, maybe build a, a budding romance between Lister and Kachansky. And then, series eight, it's like, mm, not so much now. We're just going to go for the one liners. And whatever we have to do plot wise to put them in a situation to say the one liners, that's what's going to happen. I mean, and it's right down to the reintroduction of the bunk scenes. Uh, the thought being that if we bring back the bunk scenes, that's what people liked from the early series. But it's not Get about the setting. But it's not about the setting. It's about the conversations. Yeah, it's right. about them re- relating stories of their past to each other. And that's not really there. That's why they feel different. They're, I mean, the bunk scene in this episode is physical humour, really. Yeah. For the yeah. most part. Yeah. And, it, and what they were the talking difference. about before was just off off the wall stuff. <laughs> yeah. What were they talking about before? I forget. Um I don't know, just random things. What were they like, talking that's about? that's what they'll do. They'll talk about random things and I'm like, why are they talking about this? <laughs> Let's see, yeah, Holly interrupted them to tell them that there was um They're talking yeah. about the complimentary pens from the hospital. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. Oh you know, I almost thought there was like a, a Harry Potter reference somewhere in there. His scar was hurting. I thought maybe Voldemort was up to his old tricks on the dwarf. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's funny because my brother did actually attack my sister with a video case, so uh, <laughs> awesome. it, was, it was a Spice Girls video I seem to remember. Ooh, wow. Well, that would that, that would drive anyone to violence. Adding insult <laughs> so. to injury, much. <laughs> my, my sister liked Spice Girls, so, you know, it was her video. <laughs> mm. But there was originally a Crichton and Kachansky episode, but that kind of morphed into Crichty TV. Mm. Uh, originally, yeah. there was there was one story which was Floor, as Crichty TV was originally called, and then there was a separate story called No Strings Attached. And they hmm. merged into Crazy TV. When Doug was told that Lister and Rimmer are the spine of the show and you can't have an episode without them in it. Yeah, and certainly Doug was very uh, welcoming of any opinions that were being offered at the time. Too welcoming. Um, well, well yeah. I think I think more so during Series 8, to be honest. Uh, that was the biggest point. And I suppose part of that may be that, aside from just finding your, your feet solo writing, I think he had by that point. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think just because Red Dwarf was flying high and was becoming more of a success, you know, certain pressures from the BBC or even just people, certain people high up saying, yeah, you should do more of this. Yeah. Well, it's it's hard think... to say without having been there, but... Sure. 
Well, one of the reasons I liked the um, the the banner scene in this one, uh, <laughs> just aside from I think that it, it hit as a joke, but well, is that Crichton in the first place was trying to get a click calendar for Kachansky to make her feel better. Um, apparently, off camera, they've developed more of a relationship to where instead of him whining all the time and being bizarrely jealous of her, I never thought that that worked for Series 7. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of that dynamic, that apparently they've got somewhat of a friendship going since he's being classified a woman. Um, I thought that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Yeah. Even though we did get the whiny quoting back? For one line. Yeah. One line. He was but- lying! Yeah. And I think the other thing is what we've really lost, what they were trying to do for season seven and just completely dropped in a little bit of an insulting way is the, um, Crichton does, or not, Kachansky does not seem to have an interior life at all anymore. She has no goals. She has no emotions. She has... Nothing like that. She's just there to serve as a device and occasionally deliver a line. Like, I want to know, how does she feel about being imprisoned? You know, uh, what kind of relationship is she building with Crichton? And, you know, she seems to be hanging out with Catmore. What's going on there? Sadly, that's that's a result of why she was brought in originally. Aside from certain other reasons reason she's brought in is because Chris leaves and then when Chris yeah. comes back um, you know Doug's drive is to write for Rimmer and Lister and he yeah. doesn't feel compelled to write for Kachansky anymore I can understand that you know those are the characters that you've you've created you've been writing for six series you have to change it for the seventh and then when you suddenly have the opportunity to go back for the eighth you do but it does mean you have characters who get left by the wayside yeah. But they don't have to. No, they I mean, don't I'm have sorry, to. I'm sorry, they don't have well, to. That's why it happens. And why why I think it's a shame is uh, one, of the, one of the things that I liked about her being there in Series 7 is that not only did she have some interesting episodes, or at least some interesting scenes, uh, but she gave Lister sort of a renewed sense of purpose. Like, you know, initially it was, I want to get to Earth and have my my farm on Fiji. Well, then that fell through because three million years but he still wanted to get back to earth to see if there were people left and but then when she came around then yeah he had a sense of purpose again which was building that relationship that had always been his part of his dream and i thought that exploring that would have been would have been really interesting but anyway yeah uh any more about this particular episode we've (laughs) we've wandered pretty far i think i'm sorry well, I, I think that that ending is is the main issue. Yeah. The, the minute Let's it goes through talk. the mirror universe yeah. is really where it starts to go wrong. Oh, um, James, you said you had a favorite scene coming up somewhere. Oh, that, Was that, it the amount no, of time that Rimmer spent looking no, at his? No, that, that's that's a future episode. Not... Oh, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, oh we, no, that, we, yeah, that was jokingly. That was uh, he has a, a scene that he doesn't like. Yeah. That we talked about what for some time. spiritual advisor says, let me kiss you? <laughs> My kind like, of spiritual advisor. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that seems odd. 
Like, even if kissing is accepted, like, I don't know, greeting each other with a holy kiss or something like that, then that just seems like a line that could be highly misinterpreted. Yeah. Which reminds me Exactly. So, Mirror Universe, everything is backwards. Everything is backwards. That works out about as well as one would expect. (laughs) Oh, there was more of this. There was a lot more of this. Not more of this. Oh. Originally, they run into Craig's alternate version. With the the, um, moustache. Oh, nice. Ah, yeah. And there was much more made... There was a lot more made of the whole uh, cesium frankolithic mixy alibidium rixy dixy doxy dexy droxide gag. That goes on Yes, the cesium frankolithic mixy alibidium rixy dixy doxy dexy droxide gag. Well, I thought that it was a good opportunity having an alternate cat just so he could make the silicium frankolithic mixy alibidium mixy dixy doxy dexy droxide gag. But I believe you meant cesium frankolithic mixy alibidium rixy dixy doxy dexy droxide. Oh, didn't I say? And he wasn't Dwayne Dibley. Indeed, an alternate reality in which cat was not Dwayne Dibley. I think. I think over the years that Doug has very much gotten the opinion that people have perhaps reached a saturation point with Dwayne Dibley now. Yeah. Well, well, which hasn't, yeah. which hasn't meant that he hasn't appeared that. in merchandise and things quite a bit, but... <laughs> there's there's a, a Dwayne Dibley up which turns you into Dwayne Dibley, isn't there? And there is the Diblifier. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, said I've that gotten... with so much disdain. Why don't I have that app? Why? Because it doesn't why work do anymore. Not... It's not been updated in years. Oh, okay. Well, it, it would be a bit redundant, wouldn't it, Shane? <laughs> That's awful. Um, it I was said... waiting for the laugh there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the whole CCM Franklin thing is being really dead up. Originally, that was tied very closely into a different ending. They filmed a different ending for the audience, and it actually has a, a proper finish. But that ending was dropped. Yeah. Even though it's, it would make the episode work, kind of. It makes it work structurally. It's not very funny, but it works structurally. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we, shall we go through that uh, deleted... Well, I was going to say deleted scene, but it's more of a deleted act, isn't it, really? It is. It basically right. involves uh, Rimmer coming back through the Mirror Universe. <sighs> he comes back, he tries to tell them what it is, but he finds that the paper's been reversed. He goes back. He has to memorise the names, cesium, frankolithic, mixy, alibidium, rixy, dixy, doxy, dexy, droxide. Oh. It takes him several attempts, and when he finally comes back and says what it is, they say, Oh, cesium, frankolithic, mixy, alibidium, rixy, dixy, doxy, dexy, droxide. Why didn't you just say? And all of them can say it, and that's the joke. They have the formula, they can reverse it, and they all party aboard Red Dwarf as Hollister looks from uh, on board whatever ship he's on, and as Rimmer waves out the window, being the last, uh, well, the highest ranking person aboard the ship, so he's now captain. Uh, Kachansky outranked him. Yes. Although, although, Well, she's a woman. <laughs> Sorry, I I punched her in the arm for that one. Although, if if we're technical about it, he's the highest oh. ranking one who's been aboard that ship because True. that's a different Kachansky who's not been on the system. 
but they didn't bring back the other Kachansky, so she is the only Kachansky. She is the only Kachansky. Maybe okay. Well, it all gets uh, complicated. He was, he was on uh, he was on probation, and she was still technically classified as a prisoner. So yeah. there you go. There but either, either way, that's, for. that's how it ends. They are the I only like people aboard Red Dwarf. Rimmer's in charge, and they've Rimmer left everyone else to die. Mm. Rimmer says, I see no ships, and tells Crichton to speed up. And we've, and uh, if it, the episode finishes with this uh, Rimmer deciding to pay the dispensary machine back the money that he owes it. Yes. And the machine takes the revenge by spitting a drinks can, knocking Rimmer out. Right. And that's it. See, I think that's funny. Why is that not funny? Because it involves a well, verbal it, gag, and then it it's, sort of ends on a high note. It's, it's, it's okay. It's just not a big end for the series. As I said earlier about those scenes in the middle, it seems more like a mid-series thing. Mm-hmm. Even the ending, as it originally was, and it... Maybe it's just the way that it's presented in the deleted scenes because you don't have it properly edited or anything. Right. It doesn't feel like a big series, and it feels like it should go out on a high, and that doesn't. That's not to say but the solutions they came up with did. The, having them have a party where and Renner have, is the captain... And being the last remaining people on the dwarf and stealing it, that's... Yeah, I like that. I, I, I think you'd have to see it as it is in the deleted scenes. It doesn't feel that way. It, well, you described it, it you, too well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think when you describe it, it sounds better than it actually is in the episode, or at least in the deleted scenes. But Doug uses the excuse that he didn't want to end it like that because he didn't think they'd get a chance of Series 9 if he didn't end it on a cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Ah, yeah. Yeah. so having the an irony. ending that makes sense is completely out of the question. The irony yeah. being, he would have got a Series 9 by all accounts if he'd gone through with it and done it then and instead okay. we have 10 years so can we talk about this 10 years what's going well, on f- well first of all there's a story around how they came to the ending that they did yeah because it wasn't just a case of they didn't do that ending they went and did the other one Doug Naylor having uh, sold his soul to Satan many years ago to get <laughs> they... the series running uh, it, it came due <laughs> and so Lucifer decided that he would end the series this way uh, as part of his revenge on humanity because he hates us all. Well, the Naylors are descendants of the Johnsons, the Robert Johnson family. No one used those existed, but yeah. <laughs> there was two versions. Nice. There was two versions Mississippi of the Mississippi Blues reference points, man. Well, well, well there's, no, there's, there's three if you three, go by the unfilmed three. one, yeah. Well, that's yeah. true, yeah. Originally, Doug cut together a version where... Uh, Rimmer gets knocked out by the can he's laying in the flames and you see the piece of paper with the uh, the formula burning up and then it just fades to black and says the end uh, he went home with uh, a tape of that edit, left it in his office and one morning his two sons came in and uh, woke him up, to quote from the script book in fact, they woke him up and said Dad, Dad, we've just watched the last show in this season oh yeah? Congratulations Dad! Yeah, you like it. On making the worst, suckiest ending to any show ever. Um, they hated the fact that um, he'd killed Rimmer. Why have you killed Rimmer? And he says, well, he's in bad shape, but he's not dead yet. Uh, well, well, that's what he looks like. He dies. No, no, Ace Rimmer comes in and saves him. Um, well, how are we meant to know that? So 
Doug decided to change it. In fact, what I was saying earlier about Doug being open to rewrites, so he actually says in the script book uh, that he's welcome to any kind of thing. Uh, he likes the fact that John Lloyd on Not 9 O'Clock News, Spitting Image Blackadder, got lots of feedback uh, before he made decisions. And he says that everyone on Red Dwarf, from the cast to the T-boy and T-girl, are encouraged to criticise the show. It makes the show better. I'll change anything. So I decided to reshoot the ending. He makes the decision that they will go in and reshoot it and that uh, Rimmer will be saved by Ace Rimmer. So we have our Rimmer coming back and saving Rimmer. At the last minute, he decides that it will be funnier to have uh, a metaphysical kind of thing of as Rimmer's struggling to regain consciousness, he imagines that he's in a fight with death and imagines death. So they have a last-minute scramble with eight minutes before filming to find some sandals, a black Coke, and a scythe, um, which they then put on the director Ed by, and they film that ending. So it's all a bit last minute, and it kind of shows. I believe we, uh, didn't uh, they run around the Shepperton Lot and get that black uh, coat, black uh, cloak from the Mummy, which was also being filmed at the same time. <laughs> yes, and and the pair of sandals out the back of someone's car. Mm. Oh, um, speaking of things that were filmed around that time. I uh, have to note that uh, Saving Private Ryan came out a year before, so I think that had to have influenced the choice of music there with the Daggio for strings. Yes, that's... The, the classical music. Highly likely. Um, but it it's not like the cliffhanger to Series 6. It Mm-mm, just no. feels... It's, it's weird, death, death being in Red Dwarf. And even though Doug says... That it's you know it, it's Rimmer struggling to deal with consciousness. It's not presented that way, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. Um, I, it's just weird. It it's is. Really now you know weird. you know what would have worked. What would have worked is if Death had come for Rimmer, and then Lister had punched him in the face and said, "I told, I said I'd do it, and I did it." <laughs> because Lister had threatened to do just that to Death, hit him, hit him with a bat. Um, it was yeah. It was out of left field though for Rimmer to do it. And you know, um, you're you're really lucky that you you know in a few weeks you I think in a few weeks you you're doing the next episode um, instead of ten years. Yeah. <laughs> instead, this was the last episode of Red Dwarf for ten years. That yes, would was. hurt which, my soul. Which makes that ending all the more bitter, uh, because it felt for a very long time that Red Dwarf was not coming back, and that's the note it ends on. That's appalling that was really bad although strangely metaphoric that it was disintegrating and falling apart around them yeah and the irony being as i said that's the most successful series of the show if you go by ratings well you can't i mean they couldn't have it's not like a series eight was airing they knew that it would be what it was i mean they were watching each episode hoping that it would be red dwarf right to to give some idea of how it was received at the time, because, you know, analysing these episodes, you've obviously had people writing in with their opinions and saying that sure. they don't like Series 8. At the time, the reviews were reasonably positive. So yeah. some of the reviews, SFX magazine said that Red Dwarf 8 was a triumph. Terrific, says The Sun. Laugh a minute lunacy, says The Daily Mirror. Uh, a barrage of one-liners. Right. 
It's <laughs> Doctor Who would kill for these production <laughs> values, says the Daily Express. Uh, uh, Red Dwarf is the biggest force in the sci-fi universe. I mean, it got good reviews. Wait, the biggest um, force in the sci-fi said. universe? That's genuinely one of the force. press quotes. Yes. Well, you know... You've, now that you've said this, it's starting to maybe make a little bit more sense, but I have a lot of admiration for Rob and Doug. I do. I feel like, though, if he... I feel like the best works happen when you have an artist that's want, that has something to say and is making a work to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was allowing that criticism to sway his creative decisions that much, I feel like that was probably a detrimental thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, if I he think... would have gone with his own writer's instincts and said, this is where I see the characters going, this is how they're going to develop, this is the message that I'm trying to get across, I think he might have ended up with something better. I um, think most people would agree with you, and I also think that that is definitely something that Doug gets better with after this point. And part of that oh, uh, is, <laughs> is, is what happens in the intervening ten years. <laughs> in the intervening mm. ten years... Doug is spending time trying to get a Red Dwarf movie off the ground. Yes. Uh, And we can tell how successful that was. Uh, Part of the reason that Kachansky is introduced into the series at all is that uh, he was told they would have a better chance of getting a film if they had a female character who could be a love interest for Lister. Unfortunately they run into quite a lot of difficulties. At first, it seems to be going quite well. I mean, Ed Bai was down to direct. Don't forget, Ed Bai at the time had had quite a big success with not a very good film, the Kevin and Perry film. Uh, Kevin and Perry Go Large, based on Harry Enfield's sketch show, a character from that. That was a big commercial success, even if it wasn't a critical success. But the more that time goes on, the less that funding seems Mm -hmm. to come forth. Uh, and then you start to get a lot of hoaxes, someone claiming to be the Duke of Manchester, phoning from Australia, claiming that he will fund the film, and it just falls <laughs> away. Darren, daggummit. <laughs> but there Why is actually, there, there, is, there is actually a Duke of Manchester in Australia. Yeah. There... <laughs> oh, wow. Um... Alex, there was a, a bit of a Skype bubble there. What was the movie that Ed By had made? I'm sorry. He'd made uh, Kevin and Perry Go Large. Uh, Harry okay. Enfield oh. uh, had a character called Kevin who was your atypical teenager. Gotcha. Um, and it was a, a, a film about him and his friend going to Ibiza on a clubbing holiday and trying to become uh, stars. It so not wasn't White very Castle. good. No, no, it was it was pretty joke, terrible. And the joke is they get erections. Ah. Oh, that that's was very the joke. Funny. Yes. Were they trying to play basketball? Because that w- I would have just died if that had happened. Oh my goodness. Yeah, erections plus basketball is the best joke that has ever been made. <laughs> cool. So, so, uh, so how, yeah, Red Dwarf but, movie did, but that. Uh, and over this, that fell through at first quite early on. And in two thousand and one, they went to the BBC to propose series nine of Red Dwarf, and that's where the infamous quote comes from. Yes. Mm. 
the BBC are no longer interested in the audience Red Dwarf used to provide. Ouch. Wow. Yeah. So all of this is... Ouch. All of this is quite important in starting to understand what happens in this ten years. I mean, this is... It could be a discussion that could be had on, on the next episode, but I think there's some other stuff about... What well, leads into the next episode? But the, in this well, ten years, ask, so they don't get another series until they've had Doctor Who going for four years. <laughs> well, it's, it's not no. even not, as simple not as that. We see, no. We'll, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I we'll, understand. We'll, that that's worth coming to next time because there's a whole story about where it ends up. But well, I was in this ten years. Add... In this ten years, you start to have the Red Dwarf website becomes more of a force. They start to put out things of what will happen in this movie here's some storyboards, here's a, a synopsis and you start to get some drive behind it, people thinking oh well, I'm not so keen on something that seems to be you know, a sort of uh, a reboot for a film, but okay maybe I'll go along with it, and then when that falls through, the general opinion that rises up is that Doug has wasted the opportunity to get another series of the show on trying to get a film that doesn't get made ah what also thought... happens is you start to get this orthodoxy of opinion that arrives in the intervening ten years because with no fresh news coming, a lot of things move on to the Red Dwarf Forum and they move on to Ganymede and Titan, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the pages of the Red Dwarf magazines and the conventions. You start Those to get guys. this. You start to get these opinions <laughs> that series seven and eight uh, killed the show, and. They're, that's not the opinion of everyone but I can tell you an awful lot of people it is the opinion of and that it all went wrong you also start to see the opinion that uh, when Rob left that was it because Rob was the funny one and Doug did the plots I think that's total rubbish to be perfectly honest and G&T will agree with me um, it's, it's weird. you also get an opinion coming up that the introduction of Kachansky uh, is one of the things that contributed to the show declining in quality. Mm. Um, there's an awful lot of things that stop becoming opinion and start to become fact that you just hear over and over. And then they yeah. start to appear in the press. Red Dwarfs had its day. It fell apart with later series. So we're getting post hoc, echo, propter hoc. And then we also start to mm. see the release of the DVDs uh, all eight series get released on DVD by the time the next episode's aired, each of which has a long documentary talking about the making of the show, and so you get received wisdom that's then set in stone. And I think that's quite important because of some of the feedback that you will see for this episode and some that you'll see for the next episode. Hmm. Okay. Which is a very long-winded explanation, but it, it is kind of important to take into account because those 10 years were incredibly frustrating so um that's why all the documentaries that are on the dvds which are on youtube by the way are now safe to watch okay that's good okay well let me ask this then um is there a red dwarf movie (laughs) no 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 okay what what there is the only thing that exists is a test model shot. The Series 8 Red Dwarf, which is also the one that appears when they remastered Series 1 to 3, that's the CGI model they used. They actually built a proper model of that Red Dwarf, uh, but it was too big 
for them to use to film. Ah. However, they kept it for the film, and there's one test shot of that being used, uh, which actually looks quite good, but that's it. There's nothing else that exists. Uh, ah. There were so many drafts of the script as well, because Doug was being told that he had to write a script that appeared it was spending more money on it. Um, and uh, so you started getting all manner of special effects sequences that were never in there originally, and I have a feeling probably may have spoiled the script somewhat. Mm, yeah. Well, doesn't he say he made it more expensive, then he had to make it cheaper, then more expensive, depending on... Yeah, yeah. there, there are so many drafts. There's so many drafts of that script. At one point, incidentally, he took it uh, to a film company. Was it Miramax? I, I can't remember. And they looked at the script. They said, "Ah, oh, this is all very funny. How about Hugh Grant for Lister? And for, Kachan- oh, and, for Kachans- no. and for Kachansky, what's Emma Thompson doing these days? Well, I was actually going to ask before, um, uh, you know, Heath mentioned Doctor Who. How did the uh, odd success fail rate of the Doctor Who movie uh, sort of hinder the Red Dwarf movie? I don't think it made any difference. The the thing that made the difference at the time, um, to come back to it again, is the Kevin and Perry thing. It was on a wave of, well, maybe British sitcoms can be films. And then after Mm -hmm. that, there weren't really any more. And, And it became a risky venture. The irony is, if they did one now... There's been the success of the Inbetweeners film, the Alan Partridge mm. movie. Uh, there's a, as much as I think it's one of the worst comedies on British television at the moment, uh, it's one of the most successful, uh, stupidly enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys has a film coming out, um, and we just won't mention Keith Lemon the movie because it was awful and took barely any money. Um, but you would actually probably have a much easier time getting Red Dwarf the movie made today, but not at that time. Okay. Well, I um, should say, sorry, I should should say the figures I've got in front of me for the for the Red Dwarf movie in the in the late nineties, so soon after this was uh, originally uh, filmed, the figure I've got in front of me is about is uh, fifteen million. The original budget, which mm. is about, uh, then it goes up to uh, in July two thousand one, it went up to nineteen million. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it just kept going up and up. It was absurd. I mean, especially because it's not Star Wars. It's a comedy. But The Phantom Menace had come out. I think that is... I think The Phantom Menace and uh, Kevin and Perry are possibly the two things right. that decide it. Especially because uh, the, the Phantom Menace was doing reasonably well. I, I think that's maybe another one that has certain opinions thrust on it now in the light of the other two that weren't necessarily there at the time, especially from children because The Phantom Menace was a massive hit with nine year old I was nine at the time and oh, it was yeah. huge Yeah, yeah. Oh, We hated it when it came out Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. yeah. we hang out We hang out with people who are 22 now and just because I, I just got out of I went back to school out yeah. of, and got my masters so the people I was getting my masters with are nine years younger than me Yeah, um, and they're all like, oh I love The Phantom Menace Jar Jar is so funny and I have to remember, okay, you were you were much much younger when yeah. you saw this than I was. Yeah, but the I'm, same applies I'm to Red Dwarf. And Jar Jar Binks is my Jar Jar Binks is my favorite character. <laughs> yeah, the same again, applies to <laughs> as as you might imagine. Um, Angela and I were already to the point where we were saying, "Ha, huh, this accent 
Why does he sound like Aunt Jemima? Um, so we have the slightly retarded subhuman person doing a, that accent. Holy crap, George Lucas, what were you smoking? There's a great podcast with Peter Serafinowicz, who does the voice of Darth Maul. And <laughs> yes. he, he goes into what his experience with the film was. And mm. it's does not paint George Lucas in a very good light. Right. Well, we probably need to get back to Red Dwarf yeah. at this point. So, we've still got some questions such as, you know, how specifically does there eventually become a new series and what what were the actors doing in 9 years without Red Dwarf because um, yeah. But I feel like I feel like that a lot of that should wait until the first episode of series 9. Um to some degree, to some degree. I mean, it's it doesn't matter too much. I mean, Craig uh, had success uh, at the same time. He took on Robot Wars, uh, and that was a big ses- uh, success for, for Craig. I mean, he talks about uh, being offered Robot Wars and thinking, my God, my career is... is what has happened to my career? Mm. I'm having to do Robot Wars, taking over from Jeremy Clarkson doing Robot Wars. And then he saw the ratings for BBC Two, and he saw that Red... Dwarf, was it Red Dwarf was at number one and Robot Wars was at number two, and he thought, "Hey, yeah. not so bad." There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig, t- yeah. So, uh, so, 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 sorry, actually, another scope bubble. He took over from Jeremy Clarkson mm. uh, when he did uh, Robot Wars, and had to, uh, without being rude, I think Jeremy Clarkson is not exactly the best presenter in the world. No, he what he uh, seemed he, he would, different uh, in that to first it. Season, he Craig very, really threw himself into it. Yeah. Uh, I think he throws season. himself into anything he does. <laughs> in that very, in that first season, Jeremy Clarkson was very, very condescending. So Craig does that, uh, and then moves into doing more acting. He starts to do some more serious acting, uh, and he uh, eventually moves into a soap opera. He moves into Coronation Street, which is one of the most viewed programs in the UK. Um, meanwhile. Uh, Robert Llewellyn, uh, I suppose, is best known for having moved on to Scrap Heap Challenge, mm. where two teams are taken to a scrap heap. Yeah, uh, they, they have call to... it junk, yeah. Junkyard Wars oh, okay. here. Yeah. Um, Chris, well, Chris was in the two Tomb Raider films, um, oh, playing I'd the butler. That. I can oh, see why. What? I didn't watch the Tomb Raider films. Well, now I'm glad that I didn't. If he's playing the butler, it's holy not, crap, that's a waste. It's not one of his finest roles. <laughs> Um, but aside from that, Chris Chris generally has sort of moved into after dinner speaking a lot of things like that by this point. He does, um, document- he also he does, he does documentaries. documentaries as well. Yeah. Chris Barry's yeah. Massive Engines, the highly euphemistic sounding series. <laughs> Chris Barry's Massive Tools and whatnot. And Danny... Danny sort of pops up in odds and sods throughout all manner of things. Doesn't he? I was gonna, I was actually going to say Danny's probably the most famous uh, for story makers. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree, Alex? Um, I, I couldn't say because I never watched it. Um, <laughs> one of my early memories is of him in the Demon Head Master. Um, he, he, uh, he was in I mean, he's entered into a whole new popularity now. Mm. Blade Two, yes. Mm. And now he's in Death in Paradise, which is what a lot of people now know him for. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Chloe, meanwhile, Chloe 
didn't really do much. She had children, um, oh. and so mm-hmm. and so she really sort of didn't do any acting uh, cool. in those ten years. And okay. Norman well, went back we to stand-up. Well, we will save uh, the story of Red Dwarf's return, I guess, for next episode, because we're an hour and 20 minutes in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's, it's, it's an uh, important episode. Yes, yes. Sadly. Well, Sadly. Let's move, move things ahead a bit uh, and figure out... So let's see. Any any more points on this episode before we do our usual shtick? I think that's awesome. Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, let's um, pause here to give a shout out to, I don't know, some other lousy podcast. Uh, so. <laughs> you think your show is safe? It is an illusion, a comforting lie told to protect you. Enjoy these final moments of peace, for I have returned to make a podcast. Welcome to First Contact, a Star Trek The Next Generation intro cast. Cadet Alex Newsom reporting for duty. Permission to come aboard and be keen, sir. I actually think they nailed down Picard quite well in the pilot. That's it. I am done with Star Trek. This is terrible. It's almost as if we're saying they're uncivilised. It was fortuitous that we did our worst that early on. And what sort of game are you looking for today? Would it be mental, physical, mystery, or... Geordie, I mean, as we know about his character, he is blind. Is Geordie blind? I I didn't know that. He is. (laughs) First Contact, the Next Generation intro cast. Available now at thespoilers.com. And on iTunes. I can't think of anything that could really be quite so against what I take to be the the core idea of Star Trek. And we're back, and it's time to get an idea of what you crazy folks out there thought of this episode. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's start here. We have Rosie. Rosie says, I remember watching Only the Good er, last week. I will refer you back to my previous comments on Series 8, but also add that the title and moral for this episode presumably came first. I can then only assume that Doug was so pleased with himself that he didn't feel the need for a decent storyline or any real jokes as he worked backwards from the finish to start. Have a nice day, y'all. Smiley face. I don't know if there's any veracity to that (laughs) or not, but who knows. Nick Ridley says, The period banner is funny. I agree. So is the hooch scene. Nurse Cat is great, especially Lister's reaction. Yeah. The sister gag is enjoyable, though it suffers from uh, Eight's tendency to repeat and explain jokes. I like the vending machine, and I'm happy with the ending. I don't like that the mirror universe idea was pulled out of nowhere, and the concept is pretty much wasted as well. The Nanomots must have resurrected you, too. Uh, uh, huh? What? <laughs> Shane, you want to read <laughs> I can't tell you how often the joke about playing tennis in tight white clothing and pouring blue liquid on things gets tossed around in this house. I love how Rimmer de- deals with death at this time. Thanks, Nettie. Uh, Jonathan Caps says, Not the worst of the series by far, but this episode still feels like an utter mess. The sudden appearance of the Mirror Universe machine is baffling and smacks of a desperation to just get the episode moving into the final act. I have big problems with the ending, too. It clearly 
uh, was meant to invoke the cliffhanger from out of time, but it just ends up being utterly infuriating, especially since it was a last-minute replacement scene which was suggested by his young son, and all the alternatives sound more satisfying. Goodbye, Series 8. You were... There we go. <laughs> Ian Sims says, Skeletons don't have testicles. And Jonathan Cap says, Scudders don't have time off. <laughs> uh, what does Sam say? Uh, a lot more fun with the alternate crew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, and we did talk about that they left out a lot of the alternate crew bits. Um, he says that it's okay. Weird that rumors are allowed to resume his duties. Duties. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's a prisoner, da, 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 the period party uh, is, uh, yes, uh, great as is Crichton's revenge. Uh, the other weird point is when the main crew abandoned the ship, they seem to take all the prisoners with them except three registered crew members, one of whom being the navigation officer. But since Series 8 as a whole has been pretty bad, it's best to just let it fly. Don't worry, guys, the worst is over. Also, Sam calls Shane a shame. When everyone knows that his real name is Sean. <laughs> oh, yeah, it says, I'm sure shame will go into that. Oh. Ewan Ancorn says, I think only the good dot dot dot. Could have been a decent episode, spent less time messing around at the start with periods and stealing chips, and actually got to the meat of the story quicker, as it is only the good dot dot dot. Has some funny moments, but... <laughs> Its plot ends up being a confused mess. The mirror universe could have been really interesting to explore, but ends up feeling completely rushed. Opposites of Cat and Kachansky are funny, but we don't even get the opposites of Blister and Crichton. As hard as this episode tries to be out of time, the end uh, definitely falls short. Um, it's better than much of Series 8. That's not saying much. Going to grab Cheddarhead there. I thought the period stuff, the two Talia scenes, and Kat's attempt to get himself beaten up were terrible. But the Grim Reaper ending was even worse. Why didn't they use the ending less than the deleted scenes in the Series 8 DVD? It was perfect. Because his young son said no. To which Nick Ridley um, replies, the smeg it was. <laughs> and one of his sons actually works on the show now. Aww. Aww. Uh, Phil Baker says, oh yeah, so yeah, Chatterhead has a, a bit of a different opinion of things. So. Uh, Phil Baker says, uh, it was a mess then, and it's a mess now. You could switch scenes around, cut Talia, replace the ending all you like, but it's a weak, sloppy editing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Ending. It's a weak, sloppy ending. The good, Tony Slattery is the dispensing machine. The bad, just about everything else. The worst, he tacked on audience applause at the end. I Ooh. hate it so much. I didn't yeah. realize that. <laughs> yes. I thought that it was going on a bit long. Yeah. If if any episode deserves audience applause less, or, or rather any ending deserves audience applause <laughs> less, it's that ending. And then we have on Twitter Claire Calvert saying, uh, probably too late, but I'll tweet it anyway. I actually don't enjoy slagging off Red Dwarf, but I'll go easy, so I'll go easy on this episode. It's not that great, but I think the reason that the plot's so confused is that Doug was already thinking about the film. It's a shame a lot of the best bits were cut out, including more of the mirror universe, but this spell checker joke always makes me smile. Now roll on series nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I feel like that there might have been a good episode here. Like, uh, there's so many references to out of time, and 
Yeah, but you got to think, out of time, spent two episodes establishing the plot device to make this whole alternate universe, time travel, science fiction-y whatnots happen. It, it took its time and unfolded the plot very carefully. This one, that did not happen. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, thank you all for your feedback. Uh, if you want to send more feedback, hop onto the Red Dwarf IntroCast Facebook group. Uh, if you want to just take a random shot at us, uh, go to the Red Dwarf Spoiler Cast, where Angela and I can't see it. Um, <laughs> uh, you can also email us at uh, the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. You can Twitter at us at twitter.com slash Red Dwarf Intro. Uh, or, yeah, that's actually the only means. I'm too tired to think of another clever way of contacting <laughs> us at this moment. Um, Astral projection. There, you there go. we go. Yes. Um, or yeah, you could hop into the mirror universe, write the opposite of what you want to say, and then bring it back, and then it should turn into what you were actually trying to say. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so now we need to do some ratings or quotes. Ratings, ratings. first. Ratings first. All right. Oh, wow. I hadn't well, even thought about this. Alex, how shall we rate? If I was rating it... <sighs> On purely on the basis of the middle section, cut out the first scene, cut out the last ten minutes, I'd probably give it a four, maybe a five. But if I'm taking into account the beginning, the end, and its significance to the series overall, bearing in mind those ten years in between, I'd have to give it two fumbled retakes at a disappointing ending. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, James? James? Um, well, I'm one of those really annoying people who say the best yes. of Red, the, the worst of <laughs> the worst of Red Dwarf <laughs> is better than anything else on TV. So even the worst episode, I'd rather watch that than, than anything else on TV. But I do rate Red Dwarf against other Red Dwarf rather than other TV, or else every episode would be ten out of ten. So you know, the best of Red Dwarf is backwards. Back to reality, out of time, crazy TV. In my opinion, they're ten out of ten. <laughs> this, <laughs> I, I am being serious. Oh, it's just ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> but this... we like series eight more than most people. Is it evident? <laughs> this is one of the worst episodes of Red Dwarfs. So. It's one vial of cesium francolithic mixolybidium rixidixi doxidexi droxide out of ten. Cool. Shane? Or shame? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the reverse of Alex. Um, I love that um, ending a little bit, and I wish that was an entire episode. And if I was basing my entire rating on that last five or six minutes then I would probably give it about a six or seven however I've got to rate the entire episode as Alex did as well so I'm going to have to give it um, three dispensing machines out of ten mm-hmm. hmm. yeah I'm, I was not pleased 
I was very not pleased with this episode. I I was going along, it was just pretty much par for the course season 8, and then suddenly I thought I was having a seizure. So I'm going to give it, uh, yeah, it's going to rate along with backwards, uh, 2 out of 10, in fact lower than backwards, 2 out of 10, uh, sure young child, I'll take your idea for the ending of the episode. <laughs> Um, yeah, so if I take, like, the first two-thirds of the episode, it's probably a solid six for me. And then once the editing falls apart after that, it it becomes, like, a one. So, um, I guess I'm just gonna try it. I'll give it, like, a three and a half out of ten chocolate-thieving dogs. So, yeah. <laughs> You see, I did say I'd be the most positive and give it the lowest rating. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I think it's just yeah. worth pointing out, because we forgot to before, generally our opinions are slightly higher of 7 and 8 than a lot of people we know, and I think that might largely be due to the fact that we're slightly younger. So when we watched them go out, I was 8 or 9, and James was even younger. And like Star Wars, I think it affected our opinions slightly. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be an episode without me telling you where it um, placed in the Vaunted Silver Survey. Alrighty. Where uh, is it in the Silver Survey? He asked, expecting the answer third to last. <laughs> 58th. Oh, not far off. <laughs> yeah. Only uh, Back in the Red Part 3, Pete and Pete Part 1 and Part 2 were lower. So fourth to last. Nice. Cool. All right, uh, it is time for some quotey goodness. Uh, Alex, you get uh, first dibs. Okay, it might be a slightly long one, but... What the hell are you doing, Shirley? I'm stealing your oh. fries, fat boy. Mm, this is good. Tasty. There ain't no one more badass evil than me in the whole of hell. What makes you think you can diss me and live? Because things are changing around here. From now on, marshmallow ass, you're my bitch. You're what? B-I-itch, bitch. That's what you look like, that's what you are, understand? Okay. What? Anyone tough enough to talk me has got to be no loving pug. You want me to be your bitch? That's fine by me, sir. You sure you don't want to just hit me a couple of times first, test me out? No, sir, I'm your bitch. From now on, I'm your jiggly-wiggly roll-over sweet patooey honey bun missy. I just want to make you happy. Then hit me and hope my baby's kiss or nothing doing. Damn! <laughs> I can't yeah. turn down the chance for a funny voice. <laughs> <laughs> and thus our podcasts were built on. Wow. <laughs> uh, Alright, uh, James I think you got to give this this episode credit that it has two good scenes with cat so I'll, I'll It does I'll, I'll at least read another cat one Your two mates scold my hooch when they get out of hospital and there's no guards about this is what's going to happen to them You're going to squeeze their rolls? That's irritating, <laughs> but hey, in many ways they'll be quite relieved. <laughs> I did like that line quite a lot. Uh, Shane, do you have one? 
I'm really scared of being threatened by a dispensing machine. <laughs> nice. Uh, love? Um, okay. Here we go. Um, ta-da! Thank goodness for Mr. Lister. I nearly made such a fool of myself. A little present, ma'am. All gift wrapped. I hope I chose the right size. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you give, like, if you have one of those without an applicator, no, it is not the right size. <laughs> Throw it away, get one with an applicator. <laughs> this has been Feminine Hygiene Tips from Angela <laughs> on the Red Dwarf Intercast, because that's why people listen. That, that should be a regular feature. <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, let's see, uh, the photograph of your wife, so is it okay where it is, or should I turn it so it's facing the wall? (laughs) (laughs) Dismissed, Rimmer. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Nothing I can get you, ma'am? Tea? Coffee? Packet of three? (laughs) Hmm. Any backup quotes? Oh, I gotta do another one. Sorry. Uh, You're drunk. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Skyball. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Sir. No, 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 no. Who fancies a kebab? <laughs> oh, yeah, brilliant. Ah, oh, smeg. He's tricks us. <laughs> nice. Must have been the sherry trifle at lunch, so told him not to go back for seconds. <laughs> Call the Medibay. Tell them we need two stomach pumps. Super suck. Oh, okay, here's mine. Dear Mr. Lister, thanks for your wonderful advice regarding Miss Kachansky. In return, I thought I'd steal Baxter's stash of illegal hooch and hide it in your shower. I am laughing as I write this, knowing your cell is about to be searched and imagining the panic now gripping your soul. <laughs> oh. Let's see, um... It's okay for Mr. Cushy working for the captain now, but what about me? All that... Rock! My back's (laughs) killing me, bud! Look at my spine! It's so curved if you threw it away to come back! Rock, 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 rock! I ain't used to work. But what job do they give me? Er, something to do with rocks, sir. Exactly! You know what they got me doing? I've got to put all their rock albums on the PA system. I've got to change (laughs) those suckers once every 45 minutes. I'm a physical wreck. Your patient's killing me, bud. <laughs> okay. I do love the way Ackerman comes into the, the drunk scene. The inspection! Yeah. <laughs> Ackerman, yeah, I like him quite a lot. I didn't get the reaction to the super Seth line so much, but I like him quite a lot. <laughs> oh. Alright. Well, folks, we have... Um, dissected the heck out of this one, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, really, really glad to be bidding a fond, fond farewell to Series 8. Um, I'm really curious as to what Series 9 in the distant, distant future will look like. Well, I'm, I'm Oh, sure I guess we need to discuss... So we, I had sort of predicted, and I guess we really won't know until Series 9 starts. Yeah. But yeah, our, my prediction was that they were going to kill everyone, and then Rimmer would be a hologram again, and the others would be around. Don't have any idea. 
uh, whether or not that's how it eventually turns out. But uh, I guess we will find out. Well, I'm sure you're just relieved to see the back of, you know, back in the red part one, part two, part three, and then Pete's part one, and part two, and then only the good, which is part one, even though there's no part two. Yeah. I'm sure you'll just be relieved to just, you know, get back to no more, never seeing the word part again. Yeah, well, I guess the thing is, um, so series eight on the whole, like, it had some okay episodes. Like, the best of series eight, to me, are the kind of mediocre episodes for a series six or a series three or a series yeah. five. Like, it, just on the whole, it wasn't clicking the way that I thought that it could. Um, for reasons that we have gone over ad nauseum, so yeah. let's just drop it there. And... Bid you all adieu until Series 9. In between there, I suppose uh, Shame is going to be uh, getting together with a few of the old cronies and uh, talking about a Series 9 spoiler cast, yeah? Indeed, yes, indeed. And generally talking crap about us. Which is fine. If anybody, actually, a quick thing. If anybody wants to join me on uh, the spoiler cast, which will be being recorded on a bit what date did I say it was going to be? 10th of November. Thank you very much indeed. 10th of November. Please tweet at me at C-I-R-E-N-S-H-A-N-E. <laughs> not not S-H-A-W-N? No. <laughs> yeah, and S-E-A-N? Don't, and don't tweet at Red Dwarf Intro for that because I'm in charge of that. And yes. I have no clue. <laughs> Angela runs the Twitters. and uh, Badly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my Twitter, sorry, my Twitter again is Siren Shane, C A R E N S H A N E. Cool, cool. All right, uh, Alex, James, thank you so very much for dropping by for us. Hello. No problem. Hello. <laughs> oh, there you are. Okay, I'm going to guess that during the Skype bubble, you responded to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thanks for stopping by. Cricket's chirp. Like, nah, screw that. <laughs> We're sorry left. we ever came. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but seriously, yeah, good good to have you have you with us. And um yeah, I guess we will see or metaphorically see or be in contact once more with you listener folks out there, uh after the spoiler cast when we get into Oh, what's the name of the next episode, Shane? <laughs> It's back to Earth. Really? How do you spell that? <laughs> part it's one. Back to Earth, part one. Ah. Ah. I see what you did there. So, back to Earth, part one. Gotcha. So, hmm, will we be seeing Earth again? Interesting question. No, I think it's going to be a, um, Earth, like, uh, uh, amusement park that they're first going to think is Earth. Well, they've already done that. Yeah, but why mm. does that hold them back? From <laughs> True enough. <laughs> yeah. mm, maybe the nanites will have something to do with... Oh, yeah, they were looking for an anti-corrosive virus. Aren't the nanites kind of an anti-corrosive virus? A positive corrosive force? They build stuff? Yeah. Couldn't Anyway... Um, I have no idea. I guess they're going back to Earth somehow or another, but whether they do that through a virus or... 
Well, they just spend most of the episode farting around, and then in the last two minutes ha hit the back-to-earth button that they've had lying around for eight seasons without using it. Who knows? It's like, oh yeah, that old thing? <laughs> yeah. I was using that to iron my suits. <laughs> <laughs> I was using it as a tie-pin. Doesn't it look good here, bud? Um, we will find out in Series 9. Until then, uh, join us. Same dwarf time, same dwarf channel. Bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.